0: The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Well, God bless you for being here today, and uh, glad that you are. Glad that you are. Uh, you know, it's so neat to see Ohio opening back up with the Hartford Fair happening this year and the zoo opening back up and, and, uh, and all of that is happening just, just the way it seems like it ought to. So we're, we're happy about that as we progress through time. Take your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 14, the Gospel of Luke, the 14th chapter. You know, we're gathering again now, and, and many of the things as we progress through these next weeks, we will be picking up where we left off with many things. Uh, man, we had a lot going on, and a lot that we was getting ready to happen right before the coronavirus came to us, and, uh, and a lot of those things had to end. So we're, we're just going to pick back up with many things, and, uh, and you'll see a lot of those things unrolling as we, uh, as we announce those in the future weeks. Uh, but what I, one of the things I'm really exciting, excited about is really nailing down a vision for our church. If you remember back to the beginning of the year, our church went through a period of 40 days where we were all praying and going through the same devotion, the all collectively together. We had a book that led us through that for 40 days of prayer. And, uh, and boy, it was great. We, we ended those 40 days by coming together on a particular Sunday night. Many of you were there. And it was a pressing into the Lord. And really seeking a vision that God would give us, and I, I'm just so excited about that, and, and I really feel like that's something that the Lord will continue guiding us in. But as I really sought the Lord's face and what He would have us where He would have us in His word this week, uh, one of the things that I felt the Lord impressed upon my heart was that regardless of, regardless of what our vision ends up being, regardless of, of how we, ever we nail that down as a church family and, and we say and we say, this is the, this is the march cry of our church, uh, regardless of precisely what that is. Uh, there, there are some things that absolutely must be in place regardless, things that we don't really have to pray about. There are things that are clear enough in Scripture, uh, we don't have to pray about it. You don't have to pray whether or not you should love your neighbor. You never have to ask God about that. that is, the answer is always yes. And uh, another thing that there is always a yes answer to is discipleship. Discipleship. If you have that main graphic, you'll read it says, Discipleship, be one, make one. Now, before we can make disciples, before I can make disciples, before you can make disciples, before we can do that collectively as a church, which we're certainly called to do that, the Bible calls us to make disciples. Jesus said, Therefore, go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things I have commanded. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Amen. So we certainly should make disciples. But before we can make a disciple, we need to know what a disciple actually is. We need to first be one. We need to be a disciple. If you want to tell someone how to get to New Covenant Community Church, it helps to know where Johnstown is. So that's, that's a helpful thing to us. Uh, and so we know that discipleship, the word disciple in and of itself, it means learner. It means one who is learning, one who is learning the Latin word, discipio. It literally means a learner. And, and we know in the Great Commission, Jesus says to teach them to observe all things I have commanded. So if someone is a disciple of Jesus, they, they are someone who is learning what it is that Jesus taught And they're following Him, they're trusting and they're obeying, they're they're learning what it is that Jesus commanded. And, And we know that that is very clear, but discipleship, if it means learn, we know from Scripture also very clearly that that is not all it means. We find in Scripture, as we'll see in just a very brief moment, that discipleship costs something. Now listen to me very closely here, if you miss out the rest of the message, please listen to this salvation is free church salvation is free but discipleship costs salvation is free but discipleship costs if you're in luke chapter 14 i invite you now to look at verse 25 it says now a great multitude went with him and he turned and said to them if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father And mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and is not able to finish. But if salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Everyone say amen for God's word. Salvation church is free, but discipleship costs. Uh, It costs to serve Jesus and to be his disciple. Uh, there are many people in today's world, many people in America that are saved. They are saved, redeemed people. And they are a recipient of what is free, of the salvation that is free. But there are very few, I would say, very few, who have paid the price to be a disciple, to be, a, to be someone who's making an impact in the kingdom of God. They have very few that are willing to take what it is that they have and purchase discipleship, if you will. And what I hope to convince you of church with love in my voice, what I hope to convince you of this morning is that it is worth it. That it is worth being a disciple. Whatever, whatever price you pay to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it is worth it. it. It is totally a worthy buy. It's a good deal. It's been said before that the bitterness of poor quality lingers long after the sweetness of cheap price has been forgotten. Let me say that again. The bitterness of poor quality lingers long after the sweetness of cheap price has been forgotten. Church, I'm convinced with all of my heart that if I had 1,000 lives to give away, I'd give them all to Jesus. Amen? I hope you would too. If I had 1,000 lives to give away, I'd give them all to Jesus. There are three marks of a disciple that are elevated out of God's Word that I would like to give you. So if you're in Luke chapter 14, go back to verse 25. It says, Now a great multitude went with him, And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So, number one, a disciple will love Jesus above all else. A disciple will love Jesus above all else. Now, you say, Pastor, doesn't the Bible teach us to love one another? Aren't we to love... How is it that Jesus could say that we are to hate our family and friends, and, 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 and let's be clear, Jesus is not teaching hatred in any way, shape, or form. What He is speaking of is, is where the highest priority of service lies. Here's how He put it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. It says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. I'm convinced, and I hope you are too, that the more you love Jesus, the more you can love your parents. The more that you love Jesus, the, the better spouse you can be, the better that you can love your siblings. You, and Abby knows this, you know I, I love her. Do I love Abby? My goodness? Yes, more than any person on the face of this planet. Uh, but she knows that she is number two in my life, that, that Jesus Christ comes first, and I'm able to be a better husband when I'm loving Jesus. I'm able to be a better husband to Abby when I am loving Jesus and putting Jesus first. Now, I love, I love Abby, that's, that's clear, and I love Jesus, I certainly hope that is clear also, but only one of them is my master. Daisy's my child, I love Daisy. My goodness, I love the sweet little kid. she's so, I love her, I love her so much. And I love Jesus, but only one of them is my master, and sometimes it can feel like Daisy when she's squawking like a broody hen, but... but. But, but Jesus is the Master. A disciple, a true disciple, will pay the price of loving Jesus above all else. And it's not common to preach that message in America anymore today. That a disciple is to preach Jesus is to love Jesus, is to love Jesus above all other earthly relationships, to give all that they have to pay that price to be a disciple. That is not a common message. The common message in America today, as we are all very well aware, is a watered-down message of self-fulfillment and making yourself better and acquiring yourself and, and establishing yourself, not giving of yourself and giving everything that you have away. One time someone asked Dr. Tozer, they said, what, what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? What does, it, what does it mean to love Jesus so much that you're crucified with Him? The Bible talks about being crucified with Christ. What, what does that mean? What is the life of a person like who has been crucified with Jesus? To which Dr. Toza replied and said, Well, someone who is crucified is facing one direction. They're facing one way. They're not going back and they have no further plans of their own. They're facing one direction. They're not going back to what they used to go back to. They're only facing one direction. They're not going back. The option of going back to a former wave, that is not even on the table. That is not even an option. They're not going back. And the last decision they ever made was to pay the price of whatever caused them to pick up that cross, to be on that cross. That person no longer has any plans of their own. Now, many people wear crosses as jewelry. And we have a cross here behind me, and it represents the focal point of this whole building. The very center focal point that our eyes are drawn to is the cross that's behind me. And as far as I can tell biblically, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wearing jewelry that has crosses on it and having crosses in the church. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's very, very important to remember what the cross actually represented in Jesus' day. It was a thing of shame, it was a thing of suffering. In today's world, it would be the equivalent of having, let's just say perhaps, Jesus were to have chosen to be and live among us in 2020. The equivalent of a cross being up here perhaps would be an electric chair sitting up here. Puts a different perspective on it. Could you imagine somebody walking around with a piece of jewelry and a small little figure of an electric chair hanging from it it was a thing of shame and and this is what disciples are to called to pick up this is loving Jesus above all else this is how Jesus put it in Matthew chapter 16 verse 24 It says if anyone desires to come after me let him deny himself that's the part that's not popular today let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me I'm assuming that most all of you know by now that when I first started life, I started as a personal trainer. That was what I went to my undergraduate schooling for and, and, uh, and enjoyed it quite well and was quite good at it. Had a great long list of clients that I would help with their fitness and all these types of things. And, and then the Lord called me to preach. He called me to preach and to teach His Word. And, and quite honestly, that represented, and I hope you know, I mean, if you know me, I hope, I hope you know the humility in this, but... When God called me to preach, it definitely, certainly represented much uncertainty in my life and for my family, and, and, and I didn't know what it looked like was, was having a conversation with some people in the church just a couple days ago about how you know some people are called to really specific places of ministry. I just knew that God had called me to preach and to love His Word and to, to share Him with people, but, so it represented much uncertainty in the future ahead. And I believe very much so that it was a cross that God was calling me to take up. And I know it was worth it. Now I see that it was po- perfectly and totally worth it. So the question I have for you this morning is what cross have you taken up? What is the cross that you're taking up for the cause of Christ? To, to, to pick up your cross, to deny yourself, and to follow Jesus. So I've heard people say before that, that my sickness is my cross. And that's what I'm picking up to follow Christ. And I would challenge them to to say uh, maybe not unless they acquired that sickness serving jesus then perhaps but if it's just a sickness then that's one thing but but to serve jesus to to put him above all else to to be a disciple that loves jesus above all other earthly relationships that is another story some people will say that my mother-in-law is my is my cross and i would say she may be cross but she is not your cross unless she is your cross from following jesus she, and what church, hear me, what the weak willed, ineffective Christian will say is, is, I'm saved, now let's go do whatever. Or let's go do nothing. I mean, that, that's, that's where it ends for, for that type of Christian. But the disciple, the disciple of Jesus Christ who has denied themselves, picked up their cross, and have followed Jesus, their testimony goes something like this I trusted Jesus with my, with my life, with my sin, he washed me clean. And now all I want to do is give it all away. All I want to do is I just want to follow Him. Whatever it takes to follow Him, I will do it. A disciple of Jesus Christ will love Him above all else. Now, number two. A disciple not only will love Jesus above all else, but will labor for Jesus above all else. A disciple will labor for Jesus above all else. Look to verse 27. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. When Jesus taught this for the very first time, uh, it was in a time when vineyards were very, very popular and they were all over the place. And many of these vineyards were on rolling hills and, and expanded many, many acres, sometimes up to a half a mile were very, very large. And it was not uncommon for there to be a tower built in the very center of the vineyard. And from that very top of the tower, you could have a lookout vantage point to be able to see over the hills and you could see which of the fence rows needed repairs and, and, and what needed done in the agricultural work that you were doing in this vineyard from the tower. And what Jesus is calling us to do, in the same way that someone who would sit down and calculate what they would need, the supplies they had and what supplies they had to acquire to be able to build this tower, Jesus is asking us to do the same thing for our faith. Sit down and ask yourself, do you have what it takes to buy what you need? And the question I would ask is, is there anything out of bounds for, for Jesus in your life? Is there anything in your life that, that you will not take off of the shelf of your life and say, Jesus, I'll pay this so that I can be a disciple? Count the cost. It's not as if Jesus is asking us to count the cost of whether or not we're skilled enough to be able to do a certain thing. It's, are, are you willing to take what you have, all that you have, and pay that as a price to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Martin Luther said, quote, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing, is worth nothing." End of quote. Jesus put it this way, Luke chapter 9, verse 62, it says, But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. It gives us another agriculture illustration of putting your hand to the plow behind the ox and plowing the row and looking back and second-guessing yourself you either have to be all in or you're not all in. It's, it's one or the other. Church, if I want to drive 100 miles, if my destination in my car is 100 miles, and I have four gallons of gasoline in my vehicle, and I can go 25 miles per gallon, but I'm only willing to, sp- to, to burn up two gallons of fuel. I'm no math genius, but I think I'll make it about halfway. I have to be willing to expend all of those gallons if i'm going to reach the destination if i'm going to be a disciple of jesus christ i have to be willing to use all of my resources everything that i have i have to calculate those things and ask myself am i willing to pay these things so that i can buy discipleship so that i can be a disciple of jesus christ the other thing that jesus is asking us to do is to labor uh, it was a lot of work building one of those towers they didn't have things like backhoes and Cranes and all the things that are used to make a skyscraper today. But a tower, in those days, it was something that was, that was labor. I've heard it said before that, that ministry and being a Christian, it's a four-letter word. Work. <laughs> We're to labor. And something to remember, church, is that a half-built tower in a vineyard was of no use for the vineyard and the sake of the produce off of that vineyard. A half-built tower was of no use. And a great problem with American Christianity today is that there are many, many, a, a, an amount that grieves me many, there are so many half-built towers in the kingdom of God. There are people who used to go to church that no longer go to church anymore. There are people who used to have a vibrant prayer life that don't pray anymore. There are people who used to tithe that no longer tithe anymore. There are half-built towers everywhere. What Jesus has called us to do is to be a disciple that labors for Jesus above all else. Calculate the things in your life, asking yourself if you're willing to pay those things to be a disciple. And be willing to labor. Be willing to do whatever it is that Jesus has called you to do, to minister to your workplace. Labor in those things. Is there someone in your sphere of influence that's hurting that you know that you could provide relief to, but it would be some skin off of your back, do it. Labor for the kingdom of God. A disciple loves Jesus above all else. A disciple labors for Jesus above all else. Now if you would, look to verse 31. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while there is others still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has, everyone say has. And I think of all the things that I have. And I hope you think of all the things that you have. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my... Disciple. A disciple loves Jesus above all else. A disciple labors for Jesus above all else. And number three, a disciple will leverage what they have for Jesus above all else. The parable that Jesus gives us is this king who has 10,000 soldiers. And this king's job, this king that... Jesus is saying, what king in his right mind would not first sit down and figure out how he can with what he has? And, and yes, he's outnumbered. He's outnumbered two to one. There's, there's an, a foe coming against him with 20,000. But he's, he is to sit down and figure out with his 10,000, with, his, with these odds that are not in his favor, he is, to, he is to leverage what it is that he has to be able to, to see the kingdom going forward. And we are to do the same thing in God's kingdom as well, so, so the question I have for you now is, what do you have that will further the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because the equivalence that we have here is that it's a fight against an enemy. And we know that the Bible says that the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. They, there is, make no mistake, church, there is a war going on. And it's not just a race war. There is a spiritual war going on. And it is a fight to the death. And, and we're outnumbered. We are outnumbered. Don't, don't you ever think that you are any match in your own strength for all the hordes of hell against temptation and against all the issues in our world today? Don't you ever think that, that you are strong against those things? You are not. But, Romans 8.31 says, If God be for us, then who can? Who can be against us? And that is good news. But the question we have here, church... What do we have that we can use as leverage for the kingdom of God? And let me just be real tactical and very plain here. Do you have great amounts of money in your life? Use it to leverage the kingdom of God. Do you have a great teaching ability? Use it to leverage for the kingdom of God. Do you have a home? And I'm not saying like a home that you have paid for. I'm saying, do you have a roof over your head? Use that for the glory and for, to leverage the kingdom of God. Uh, Do you have a grill? I mean, you think I'm being funny. I'm serious. Do you have a charcoal or a gas grill? Use it for the kingdom of God. Use those things to invite people over that you know need Jesus, that you know need an invite to church. Use everything that you have to leverage for the kingdom of God. Do you like sports? I'm not really that much of a sports fan, but I I know that many of you are. Do you enjoy sports? Use that to leverage for the kingdom of God. I mean, I would like to know how many Christians in our world, how many people are in heaven right now because a Christian used sports and barbecue to invite them over, to invite them to church, to love them, to guide them, to disciple them, to, to bring them down the road, to show them Jesus, to show them what a godly home looks like. Use whatever it is that you have. Do you have a great intellect? Use your great intellect. For the glory and kingdom of god use that as a leverage be a disciple that leverages all that you have for the glory of god and i think many of us have many more things than we think now here's what i'd like to be very clear on don't ever think don't ever think that the lever that i have or that a sunday school teacher has is somehow a larger pry bar than what anyone else can have uh you know jr is in the heating and cooling industry he could witness and minister to people in that industry that I never will be able to. He has, he has a lever that's completely different than mine and is no less important than mine. He has a job to do in God's kingdom the same as all of us. Church, if the gospel were a boulder and Jesus says, roll the gospel boulder down the road, which he has, he says, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded. Jesus says, roll the gospel boulder on down the road. It's not as if I'm the only one who can leverage that boulder down the road. I'll never be able to do it in my own strength. You alone will never be able to do it in your own strength. But if you're using the leverage that you have, and I come alongside you and I use the leverage that I have in being able to preach and somebody else comes along that has a lot of money and they use the leverages that they have, this gospel boulder will start rolling down the road. If you believe that, say amen. That's good news. My dear friends, disciples who love Jesus, they will love Him above all else. Disciples will also labor for Jesus above all else. Disciples will leverage what they have for Jesus above all else. Now, if you would, look to verse 34. Our Savior tells us. He says, salt... and I'll just stop right there. Who does the salt represent? Somebody tell me. The church. It represents us. Jesus says, salt is good. The church is good. Christians are good. But if salt, if disciples, if Christians, if churches, if salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dung hill. Okay? If you don't know what a dung hill is, that's a poop pile. All right? That's what we call it in Johnstown. But men, Jesus says, but men throw it out. And Jesus finishes by saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, salt, if you didn't know, and I'm imagining that you know this, it preserves things. The disciples would have known this, many of them were fishermen. If you've ever been fishing and you have a fish that sits out in the sun too long before getting to the cooler, you realize that that thing rots way faster than you thought it would. Salt preserves things. And can I just tell you, church, I believe now, as it has always needed, but now maybe more than ever, America needs the preserving salt of Jesus Christ. We need that preserving salt of Jesus Christ in our world today. A little boy was one time asked, that he said, somebody said to this little boy, they said, what does salt taste like? and the boy said salt is what tastes bad when you don't have it. <laughs> Church, the problem today is not the pornographer, it's not the drug dealer, it's not the liberal theologian, it's not Hollywood. The problem today is saltless saints. And that's not something I say with a finger pointed, but but with a face looking in my own mirror, saltless saints. You know, it's interesting how salt was collected. They, the people in this area were near the Dead Sea where it would wash up and be left in big deposits and, and people could collect salt. But, but if salt was left out long enough and the rain would come down and kind of wash through it and, and this salt that would be collected in this pile, if it, if it wasn't collected soon enough, these salt deposits would start to lose their saltiness. The qualities of preserving meat and to be able to use as an antiseptic, which is the way it was used back then commonly also, it would lose its saltiness. And they really didn't have anything to do with it other than they found out that it killed weeds and that it soaked up moisture. So they would just throw it on the roads. That's why some Bible translations talk about that it's, it's saltless. salt is no good than to be thrown out and trodden under the foot of man. It's not good for anything. It's just, it's just thrown out. Now, salt, as I mentioned, can be used as an antiseptic. And it's important to remember And you probably know this, when you get salt into a wound, it stings and it burns. When salt has its proper work, there can be a painful feeling along the process. And it's important to remember, church, that a disciple will not always be loved by all. Jesus even said that when all men speak well of you, woe to him when all men speak well of you. Woe to that person when all men speak well of that person. The world desperately needs a disciple today, but not all in the world will accept a disciple. Not all people accepted Jesus. Salt is a good thing. It can be used as an antiseptic, but placed inside of a wound and it, and it will sting and it will burn. And it's important to remember that. It's been said before, church. It's been said before that for a person to be truly happy in life, they need three things. They need something to believe in, someone to love, and a cause to serve. Can I just tell you, church, and I believe this with all my heart, that the disciple, not the person who is saved and then does nothing for the kingdom of God, but for the disciple of Jesus Christ who has said, Here's what I have, here's my abilities. Here's my resources, and Jesus, I give them all to you, Jesus. I, I, give, I give all of this life, and I had, if I had another life to give you, I'd give it to you, Jesus. I, I give this all to you, Jesus, and I want, to, I want to deny myself. I want to pick up my cross, and I want to follow you, Jesus. The disciple, that person, they have something to believe in. It's the gospel, amen? The gospel of Jesus Christ. They have someone to love, they have Jesus. A person who has saved them and loves them dearly, Jesus who has a love for us that we could never even begin to imagine how much He loves us church. I mean, I, I think when I'm working around the church and doing things throughout the week, I think of how much I love you guys and enjoy spending time with you now, and now we're able to enjoy having meals and picnics with you guys. I mean this is just IS, I love you guys, and, and I think why the love I have for you does not even do justice to the way that Jesus cares for you and the way He loves you so deeply we have indeed someone to love when we're a disciple of jesus christ and lastly we have a cause to serve a cause to serve what what calls are you serving many of us are in very widely differing professions many blue collar many white collar we're a wide range in this church and we serve many causes in our jobs in our workplaces in our family but but what's the greatest cause we have many loves in our lives There's a lot of things in my life that I'm thankful for that I really love, but only one is my master, and his name is Jesus Christ. Brian, if you would come and begin to minister, would you stand with me? This is a great season of church life, and Jesus has uh, been leading us, I'm so reassured to know that those of you who have been here, at least, and I don't want to speak for everyone, if this is not your heart's feeling, then certainly don't, don't let me speak for you, but for those who I've been able to talk to and have conversations with, for those that have been in this church for a long time, there's a sense that Jesus is here and He's leading us, He's guiding us. That's a wonderful thing. And people who have just been with us for a very short period of time have felt the same, and that is not because of me. That is not because I came in September I do not take credit for that. And don't try to give me the credit for that because I I will refuse it. Jesus is the head of this church. He's our King and our God and, and He is a Savior church. If you don't know Him this morning as your Lord and your Savior, trust Him. Would you trust Him today? Let's pray. Father, You've given us so much. So much to love. So much to serve and so much to do, but God, we we stay here this morning recognizing that we have one Master. The business of this church in our lives, it is about You, Jesus. It's about Your redemption. It's about Your grace. And we are thankful for it this morning. Perhaps you would say that you just don't know Jesus this morning. That the Holy Spirit has convicted your heart this morning and this week and... I invite you to accept Him and love Him like you never have before. If there's one story in the Bible that's clear is that the thing that Jesus wants in your life is, is your sin. That's the greatest issue you have. That's the greatest problem you have. And the good news this morning is because of what Jesus did on the cross. He has the answer to that great, great issue. Jesus, we love You and we praise You. And we give our hearts to You fully. Jesus' name. And the church says...